Good morning. How is everybody? Good, good, good. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, we won. <laughs> Unless your team didn't, okay? I just want to say, man, yesterday was like Christmas at our house. Like all the college football we could handle, and then we made guacamole, okay? And when you make guacamole at our house, it's like heaven came down and filled our soul, okay? It was awesome. And so I'm glad you're here today. Uh, we're going to finish up a series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks. And before we do that, I want to tell you cool, just, just so many amazing things happening in our church right now, okay? This August, we had the largest number of people who gave their life to Christ and baptized in the history of our church. And I just praise God for that, okay? Uh, God is doing a great work. He's doing a new work. If, if you don't believe that, show up here on Wednesday night around 7.30, and this place is full of teenagers worshiping Jesus and helping their friends find hope in Christ. It is phenomenal, okay? Like, I came in here the other night, and I went, this is like an 11 o'clock service in here. Like, there are students in here going crazy. And, and let me tell you what I love about our students. I just want to call them out, because I think our teenagers are some of the most coolest radical people on the planet. Like, they're friends will be getting baptized and they've seen friends get baptized every Wednesday night during August and literally when someone starts to get baptized they stand up from their seat and they run to the baptism and I thought man we need adults to do that first of all we'd lose some weight and number two number two man how would it encourage a brother like if when someone gets baptized you just step up and you run over the baptistry and and so I just love that let me tell you something else cool that um, we're celebrating next week we celebrate the first anniversary of our LaGrange campus and uh, we are one year in being a multi-site church. So for those of you who don't know, we have a campus just south of us, about 30 miles south in the, the city of LaGrange. We meet at a theater, and every, uh, every Sunday that theater becomes a worship center. It's just awesome, and God's doing a great work in the city of LaGrange. I pray for the day that we have campuses all over South Atlanta, Peachtree City, Carrollton, all over this place, like literally uh, infiltrating the whole South Atlanta region because that's our vision. Our vision is one relationship at a time. So if you thought you were coming to a dead church on a dead weekend, I'm sorry, okay? We are fully alive in Jesus and we're having a great time. So I'm excited that you're here today. We've been in this series called Come Alive and uh, we've been studying and for some of us, this has been an eye-opening series and here's why. We know that God wants us to come alive, right? We know that God wants us to change the world around us but for some of them, for some of us, we've never known the how. Like we know the why, but we've never known the how. And so we've been learning like the very first week we talked about how when Jesus left this earth and he went to go be with the Father, that he sent the Holy Spirit to come at Pentecost to live inside of us, to make us dynamically different. And for some of us, that's been a game changer. Like this idea that it's no longer like Jesus with me. Now it's like Jesus in me. And that's a totally, like that's a game changer for you. And I'm just so excited because as a believer in Christ, when you realize what it means to live a spirit-filled life, your whole world just takes on a whole new element. And so very excited about that. We talked about how we, as believers, when we come alive, that we have this opportunity to take this name, that we can drop the name of Jesus on people. And when we do, Jesus will change their life. He's just wanting us to drop the name. And when we do that, that's awesome. And so we talked about that. And then we talked about the week three, we talked about in Acts 5, how when the church quits thinking inwardly and we begin to focus outwardly, that literally it becomes a day-to-day, everyday experience and people's lives are changed and it's uncontainable and it becomes unstoppable. 
And that for us is big because that's why we believe so much in life groups. I said this statement a few weeks ago. I'm praying for the day that we have twice the amount of people in life groups as we do in our worship services. Because I will know that we are doing our job as a church when little elements of Southcrest, these life groups, are meeting all over South Atlanta, everywhere, every day, in the, in the marketplace, every, in businesses. Man, that would be just phenomenal because that's how the gospel goes out. And then last week, we turned it back to a story. We talked about a guy named Saul and how this guy named Saul had outwardly put it all together religiously, Right? But inwardly, something was missing. And we talked about it's not enough to know all the right things, but it's what's inside of us, that Jesus inside of us is what makes the difference. And I've been praying about this all week, and I want to say to you, some of you who were here last week, you are still wrestling in your heart with the visual that we gave. We had this box that we literally kicked to the ground, and there was nothing inside. And we talked about how our lives represent that box that we can have self-improvement, we can be religious, we can have money, we can have power. But until Jesus is inside of us, we'll never be different. So today we're ending our series. And I want to tell you personally, this has been one of the most exciting series that I've ever been able to stand up and speak on. I remember in May when I was away for some sermon prep time, and I remember the Lord really kind of diving into me saying, Sean, I want you to study the first 10 chapters of Acts, and then I want you to lead the church through this series. And I remember getting to the message that we're going to talk about today, and I'm just going, uh-oh. My <laughs> God, wow. And looking at where our culture is and looking at where our church is and looking at where God has taken us in this series, I think the Lord's about to do something new and fresh in us. So I want you to look at your neighbor real quick and say, you better hang on. All right? (laughs) Some of you go, man, I'm just, I've never, some of you go, I've never been in a church where people talk to each other. (laughs) Like I'm used to coming in and sitting quietly and you act like you know somebody, but you really never say nothing to them. And then you leave, and when you see each other at the restaurant, you act like you're best friends. Oh, how you doing? Okay. Well, you can talk to each other in church, okay? Just don't interrupt my message. So we're going to have a good time today. Here's the thought. One of the hottest topics in our culture right now is the topic of racism. And it's funny because as you talk about racism in our culture, it's like everyone's blood starts rising. Like, I could come in here and say, we're going to talk about money today, and some of you would go, okay? Like, if I walked in and said, today we're going to talk about sex, some of you'd go, ah, I'm listening, okay? But when I say we're going to talk, and we're going to dive into, but it's not the message it's not about, because it's bigger than that, we're going to talk just a few moments about racism today. And for some of you, because of how you were raised, or the things that you heard or didn't heard while you we're growing up, today's going to be one of the most freeing messages you've ever heard. And then for some of you, you're going to go, now I understand what God says about the issue. Because we know what our world says, right? Our world is confused when it comes to the idea of race. I mean, they're just really confused because all of us, every person, no matter what your skin color is or no matter where you grew up, You all have biases and preferences and perspectives about life. All of us. 
I mean, how many of you were born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you were born and raised in the Northeast? Raise your hand. How many of you were born and raised in the Midwest? Anybody raised in the West Coast? See, there are some, how many of you weren't even born in America? Raise your hand. All right. Some of you are like, I'm just glad to be here. All right. Yeah, I was watching, I got to tell you, this is funny. Just a side note, I was watching uh, Duck Dynasty one time and Brother Phil was talking about, you know, how his different dogs and he said, this dog's name's Larry and this dog's name's Fred and then he mentions the third dog and he goes, this dog's name's uh, Gary and he's just glad to be an American. And I thought, that's how our culture thinks, right? We, when we talk about race and we talk about differences, it kind of warms our blood up a little bit. And what's funny is when you start talking about people's preferences or you talk about people's biases, you start realizing that there's subsets of racism. Because, you know, it's not like you have one person who just is of a ethnicity. Now you have a person who's of an ethnicity who also is of this and is of this and of this. For instance, we have white privilege and we have white trash, right? You say, oh my gosh, he just said that in church. I sure did. There is a lot in our culture when it comes to perspectives and biases that we don't even know where it came from. And we have subcultures of biases and subcultures of racisms even within the same ethnic groups, social economic groups, educational groups. I met a lady one time, she says, I will not get promoted at the university I'm at. I said, why? And she said, because my undergrad is from a different university that they don't think is as good as this university. (laughs) Same degree. And they wouldn't promote her. And I just thought, man, that's just crazy. And let me say this, we even have this little subset of, of differences and biases among churches. Like I've been in church now for 27 years. And in 27 years of doing ministry, I've seen the most biased people lead churches. Let me just give you an example, okay? When I first moved here within the first six months, I picked up the phone and I heard of this really awesome guy who lived over in another town about 30 minutes from here. And, and I picked up the phone and I called him and I said, hey man, I would love to have lunch with you. I heard God's doing some great things through your church and using you in a powerful way. Would you have lunch with me? And it was like, cricket. Cricket, cricket. And here's what he said to me. He said, um, where do you go? I said, I'm at Southcrest. He goes, you do realize we're a charismatic church, right? <laughs> I started laughing. I was like, are you serious? Like, does that even matter? Because see, even in South Atlanta, even in the region that we live in, people label you and bias you attending on what flavor of church you go to. People ask me all the time in the community, the first word out of their mouth is, what type of church are you? Uh, Jesus? (laughs) Right? I mean, we are in that culture. And it's funny because there are people, even in this town, that won't call me, won't talk to me, because I serve on staff at this church. It's crazy. So I called this guy up and said, hey, let's have lunch. I went and had lunch with him, and, and, and here's what he said to me. He said, I've been in South Atlanta now for seven years. You're the first person from any other church than our denomination who's ever called me and invited me to lunch. I went, whoa, wow. And I thought, wow, it's so deep. See, here's the bend. We're all naturally drawn to people like us. We just are. 
We are naturally drawn to people who look like us, who do the things we do. I mean, if you're in this room today and you love college football, you and I are on the same wavelength, right? We love that. But if you're in this room today and your gig is Olympic ice skating, I don't get you. I just don't get you. I accept you, but I'm not drawn to you, okay? But if you, if you just walk up to me and say, da-na-na, da-na-na, you and I are on the same wavelength. There's a connection. Women don't get it. Men, we get it, right? We went, I woke up here and da-na-na, da-na-na. We are drawn by people who are like us. And here's the crazy thing. It makes diversity very hard. Because the more we talk about how diverse we are, the more we realize that sometimes diversity just makes us focus on how we're really different. And we naturally drift to those that we have affinity with. Listen, some of you think I'm smoking crack because I do triathlons on the weekend. I'm not smoking crack. I love to run. Some of you love to run in this room. Some of you go, I hate running. We are naturally drawn to people who have affinity with us. And the thing that we don't realize is in our attempt to be so different in so many different ways, all we become is really more divided. See, I even realized today as I talk on this issue, some of you in this room, you're looking at me going, dude, you have no clue what you're talking about. I mean, who are you, Sean, to stand up and talk about diversity and racism and all these different things? Listen, I totally receive that. And I want you to tell you, I'm confused by a lot of things, too, because all I am is a white guy from Oklahoma with a tan who grew up with Native American friends. I know nothing about what I'm talking about today. I mean, everyone I grew up with, I was told either wanted to own a casino. That's how we were taught. So different, man. Diversity sometimes confuses the issue. And here's the thing, whether you realize it or not, we are biased by the simple fact that most of us, if not all of us in this room, were born American. And we don't realize how big of a privilege that is, even in and of itself. Just to be able to be born American. You know how many people across the world would love to come into this room and say, I wish I would have been born in America. Just the privilege you have because you were born on this soil. How sad. We don't totally get it. So here's what we think. We think if we can answer the question about diversity and create more sensitivity that will solve the issue. And what happens is we end up creating realms of reverse racism even within our own culture. I mean, I understand some of you in this room today, it angers you that I'm talking about this because you don't want to talk about it. But I will tell you this. If God talks about it in his word, we're going to talk about it in this room. I know churches, they don't want to talk about it because they're like, I don't want to run people off. Listen, I'm not going to run anybody off. But I will run you to Jesus today. Acts chapter 10, turn over there if you would. As you turn it over there, I want to make a statement that is very, very honest but very real. Racism is not a social issue, it's a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue. Because our culture wants us to think that it's all related to our upbringing, 
what was poured into us. And I get that. Like, I understand. Like, I studied sociology. I know how people are bent by how they're raised and, and how they're socialized. And I get all that. But at the core of what we're dealing with in the heart of our land is a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue. You see, we don't have a skin problem in our world. We have a sin problem. And it's much deeper. And what we need to do is we need to come alive when we see people the way God sees them. This is how God sees this person. And then I want to make a statement today that I want to say very publicly, but I mean with all my heart. After today, we're going to settle the score. All lives matter to God. All. All. Listen. I'm not, I'm not here today to be politically correct or soundboarded. I don't care what you say about me after this. I, I hope you hear the word of God today. We are not talking about racism today. We are talking about people. All lives matter to God. So Acts chapter 10. Some of you are like, O-M-G, okay? Acts chapter 10. Story of two guys, a guy named Cornelius and a guy named Peter. Cornelius was a Gentile. Peter was a Jew. If you don't understand the differences between Jews and Gentiles, you need to go back and study history because basically it was like really bad. Like if you were a Jew, you knew that you were God's chosen people because God chose you to like bring the Messiah through your lineage. And so you're over here in a Gentile and you probably have this feeling like, man, what's wrong with me? Why couldn't I have been born a Jew? Or, and then they, did, they never really got along. Like they constantly feuded over the fact of what does it mean to be Gentile and what does it mean to be a Jew? The Bible tells us in Acts 10 that in Caesarea Philippi, there was a man by the name of Cornelius. He was Italian and he was a centurion, which meant he was like a Roman soldier guy. And this guy as a centurion, the Bible says he was a God-fearing man, that he was devout that he prayed to God. And he even gave to God. Even though he didn't quite connect the dots yet between who God was and who Jesus was, he was still praying to God. And the Bible says that he had a vision one time while he was praying. Here in Acts chapter 10, it says he was praying and an angel calls to him. He says, Cornelius. He says, what is it? He says, God's heard your prayers. You've been sitting here as a devout Gentile praying to know this God. And God's heard your prayers and he's seen your devotion. Now, I want you to get up and go get this guy from Joppa named Peter. Remember the other guy in the story, Peter? You know, Peter that, I, Jesus, I will never, 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 ever, 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 ever deny you. Peter? I mean, P Peter was, at one season of his life, he was like one in three. Okay, he was not very, he, he didn't have a winning record. But yet Jesus had changed his life. He says, I want you to go get this guy named Peter. So the Bible says that Cornelius sends out three of his friends to go track down this guy named Peter. He goes and he finds them. And here's what the crazy thing is. The very next day at noon, Peter goes up on his rooftop where he's at to pray. And as he goes to pray, he gets hungry. And so he comes down and he goes to prepare some food. And as he's preparing this food, he kind of falls into this trance. And all of a sudden in this moment, the, the Bible says that the heavens opened up and a sheet came down that has all kinds of animals on it. 
And as these animals begin to run off the sheet, there's a voice from heaven that says to Peter, Peter, get up, kill and eat. Which for some of you, if you're, if you're a hunter in this room today, you go, there's my commandment right there. All right, that's it. Like God said, get up, kill and eat. We're going hunting. Okay. He says, get up, kill and eat. Peter says, surely not, Lord. Because here's what Peter was thinking. Man, I am a devout Jew. And it would be really, really not good for me to eat all of these animals that are coming off of this sheet. (laughs) He says, I don't eat clean animals, God. (laughs) The voice says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And it happened three times. And then the sheet just went back up into heaven. Peter wakes up. And he's wondering to himself, what just happened? Like, what does all that mean? Sheep coming down, animals going everywhere. Peter, get up and eat. No, Lord, I can't eat. He said, don't you call anything unclean that I've made clean? And it happened over and over again. I think God allowed it to happen three times because he wanted to make his point to Peter. Peter, I'm serious about what I'm showing you. I'm serious. He wakes up. And he hears someone knocking at his gate. And it's the three guys sent from Cornelius. And they said, hey, do you know where Peter is? Peter says, hey, that's me. I'm the guy you're looking for. And they tell him, he said, listen, Cornelius calls for you because he's been praying to God. And God said, go get this guy named Peter from Joppa. And so Peter goes with the guys and he leaves with them the next day. And he shows up at Cornelius's house. And Cornelius, in anticipation of Peter's arrival, he invites all of his family and friends, all of his relatives into his house because he says to them, hey, this guy Peter's going to tell us what this vision was about. Verse 27, Acts chapter 10, look what it says. While talking with him, Peter went inside and he found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jewish for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Now, I want to give you just a moment here, okay? Have you ever been somewhere you felt like you just didn't belong? Like you felt like a fish out of water, okay? I mean, you know, it's, it's like being at a football game and you realize that you're sitting in the other stands and you've got on the other team's colors and people are looking at you like, hey, you know, what's going on here? Peter, that was this moment for him. He walks into this large gathering and there's all these Italian people sitting in the room and they're all Gentiles. And the first thing, because you know Peter, he'd stuck his foot in his mouth before. First thing Peter said was, you guys are aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile, right? (laughs) That would not be a good opening statement, Peter. He says, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Peter had had a change of heart. He had had a change of mind. He says, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. And then he says, may I ask why you sent for me? I want to remind you, what Peter did in that moment, we find out later in Acts chapter 11, he even faced criticism from his own Jewish people for walking into that house. But he didn't care. God had told him, I want you to go tell these people about me. And so the Bible says that he walked into that house 
And he began to ask them the question, why did you call for me? Cornelius looks at him and he says, I've been here praying and God told me to go get you. Can you help us connect the dots between this God I pray to and my life? I think at that point, Peter probably thought he was on hidden camera. Like, is this a setup? That would be like the leaders of ISIS calling me on my cell phone saying, hey, listen, we want to fly you over to Syria so you could meet with some of our guys who are really good at beheading people because while they were beheading people, they realized that they had a vision that maybe God was saying, hey, there's something more for you here. And I walk into that moment and say, hey, why did you guys invite me? So Peter walks in, verse 34, then Peter began to speak which could be good or could be dangerous for Peter. Peter began to speak. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Here's what he was saying. God has changed my way of thinking. It is no longer about being only a Jew and being part of God's chosen people because here's the thought. The only reason God chose them was to allow the Messiah to come from their lineage to bring hope and salvation to the world. That was it. That was God's purpose. You say, well, I would have chose differently. Well, you weren't choosing. God was. And the truth was, he says, God has changed my mind. And here's what he was really saying. I want you to write this down. God's jam is people, not preferences. (laughs) He said, God is about people, not their differences. And I want you to know that in this moment, the good news of Jesus, that we sit here today in this room that we claim we believe in, was forever changed and given away to our world. Forever. I mean, Peter, his whole Jewish world just got blown up. He says, I know that God accepts every nation. He just wants those who are calling out to him. And and so the Bible tells us, (laughs) the Bible tells us that Peter, after verse 35, begins to just break out for them the gospel tell them what Jesus did. In fact, halfway through, he even stops and he says, and my people, the Jewish people, are the ones that put Jesus on the cross. I mean, he incriminated himself. He called himself out. He called his own lineage out. He said, we're the ones that killed Jesus. But now I realize he's not just for us. He's for you too. And I like this moment. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking with these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Boom! (laughs) I want to preach like that. I just want to have a preacher moment real quick. I would love it if I could just like say one word and like the Holy Spirit would fall and the band would come out and everyone would be like, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. You know, and everyone just starts moving towards the front and we're just all caught up in the moment. That's what happened. Peter told them about Jesus and the Holy Spirit fell upon them and rocked their world. Verse 45, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished (laughs) that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God, something they never thought they would see, right? 
Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. So they've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. Do you see the moment? Peter shows up and realizes it's no longer about all of our differences. It's only about Jesus. See, I I look at our culture and I'm sad. Here's why I'm sad. Because of racial tension? No. I mean, that's sad. I'm sad because the church that claims to know Jesus, who has the gospel, the good news, the one thing that can take all of our diversity and bring complete unity, that we are half alive. The world's waiting for us to come alive. Peter, in this moment, walks into here and he realizes the good news of Jesus, the gospel, is the one thing that can bring people alive no matter what race they come from, no matter what place they come from, no matter what their background is, no matter what their upbringing is. You know what he was saying? All lives matter. All. He's saying it's for everybody. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, everybody. Look at your other neighbor and say, everybody. Okay, everybody. Look at your neighbor and say, everybody. Okay, that's how we say it in South Atlanta. Everybody. He's for everybody, okay? The truth is, that's what he was saying. And here's what he wants us to understand. First of all, God decides who is clean. That's what he was saying. From this point on, we have to see all people differently. Here's what he was saying. It is no one's right to reject somebody because of their upbringing, to throw them away, to say you are despised because of your skin, your kin, or even your sin. Jesus said, I died for all of them. Every last one. God decides who's clean. And he said, from this day forward, it is a new day. This Jesus, this Holy Spirit that has been changing the lives of the Jews is now for the Jews and the Gentiles, and it's a new day. See, that's why I'm so hopeful that Jesus is the hope of the world. Because our world can't fix itself. But Jesus can. It's a new day. Here's what else it tells me. God is at work in people to draw them to himself. Cornelius, he knew about God. He believed in a God. He was crying out and even giving to a God. There are millions and millions of people across the world and in South Atlanta who are calling out to a God saying, I want to know who you are. God is at work. I mean, think about it. Cornelius praying to God. Peter fixing lunch. They come together. They intersect. And at the intersection, here's what God says to them. All lives matter. The gospel. The good news of Jesus. It's for you and you and you and you and you. God is at work. So here's what we do. 
We look at people and we bias ourselves towards what we think about them, right? So we see someone who's destitute and hungry and they say, oh, they need Jesus. No, 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 no. There are corporate executives who are sitting in boardrooms making lots of money who are just as desperately praying like Cornelius, saying, would somebody please tell me if there's more? Somebody. God is at work in the hearts of people. I want you to hear this statement. Never say no for them by refusing to go and tell them. Because that's what we're doing. When we refuse not to go and tell them, we are saying no for them. And God is at work in people preparing them to hear about Jesus. Every single day. You know what else this tells me? We need to let down the sheet. The Bible says here when, when Peter was praying, he kept seeing the sheet come down and all these different things. And, and, and for us, letting down the sheet is this. We need to pray and ask God to give us a heart like he has. Because he cares for neighbors and nations. I remember one time a lady came to me and she said, I can't believe we're going to spend so much money going overseas and planting churches in England. When we got kids here in America who are hurting... You know, you can say that if you're willing to go to both. God loves all people and all lives matter. In America, in South Atlanta, in every part of this world. And he doesn't love them differently because of their socioeconomic background or the color of their skin. He sees them all through his son Jesus and says, You are clean because I sent my son to die for you and I want to be the one to make you come alive. We need to let down the sheet. Peter's vision, man, can you imagine? He got to see what God sees. I want to see what God sees about people. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. Really what it goes down to is this. We must be willing to love people where they are in order to lead them where Jesus is. Because that's why we're still here. The world's waiting for us to come alive. And there's no political correctness in the kingdom of heaven, folks. There is only God drawing people to himself. That's it. So when you hear people say, well, it's this. No, 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 no. It's all about God drawing people to himself. And so here's the truth. We never win when our goal is to cut people off at the knees because they don't agree with us ideologically or politically or morally. Because that's what we do. And that's why the church, uh, the world looks at us many times and says, man, you're an angry elf, okay? Like all you care about is being right. And the world's saying, no, 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 no. We have the opportunity to show the world, listen, I don't have to cut you off because Jesus will never cut you off. He loves you. I shared this last hour. Every time I mention the word ISIS in a message, I have someone from the Middle East or across the world begin following me. So I want to say this to you today because I know they're watching me by camera. Listen, if you are a part of ISIS, I want you to know that God says he loves you and he cares for you and he loves you and he wants you to know his son and he, he doesn't care about your ideology. He loves you. And it doesn't matter if you're the worst murderer or the worst adulterer. He loves you. He loves you. Paul, 
when he was talking to the church at Ephesus, he made a statement that was very profound, and we're going to close with this thought. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul's talking about the difference between Jews and Gentiles and what does it mean that Jesus came. So I want you to take all of your biases. I want you to take all of your upbringing. I want you to take everything that the media wants to slam at you. And I want you to put it through this filter. This is what Paul said in Ephesians 2, starting with verse 11. He said, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. In other words, he said, those of you who are Gentile understand that the people who are Jews have called you kind of unclean. Which is done in the body by human hands. Verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Look at verse 13. But now, look at your neighbor real quick and say, now. Not later, now. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace and he has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commandments. Here's the deal. We could never fulfill the law. Jesus said, I'm gonna come fulfill the law so there's no longer Jew and there's no longer Gentile. There's no longer skin color. There's no longer sin flavor. There's no longer your kin and how you were raised. He says, this is it. This is all that matters. Verse 15, by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he, he, not us, by which he put to death their hostility. Here's what he said. There is no longer, amen, come on, listen. There is no longer my people. There is only his people. That's what he said. You see, that makes me come alive. Here's why that makes me come alive. Because the world, they have never seen Jesus come out of us like that. And it scares them. I get it. But you know what it does? It tells them that there's more. There is no longer my people. There is only his people. And in Jesus, there is only one people, one focus, and one name. And one day when we step before the throne, we're not going to be sitting around going, I went to a church that had a really cool preaching style. I went to a church and we had all this and da 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 and we did. And I got my flavor of music. You got your flavor. I mean, some of us think we're going to get to heaven and we're just going to have all of our favorite flavors. Listen, there ain't going to be no flavors. Only Jesus. And when we stand before the throne, we're going to look at each other and say, there's only one name. It's the name of Jesus. Jesus. One name, Jesus. There's no longer my people. There's only your people. Jesus came and destroyed the wall of hostility. Let me ask you a question. Do not let the world let you build it back. Jesus wants us to come alive because the world's waiting. Would you pray with me today as we leave? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, there's some of you in this room. 
and I can feel the struggle you're having. And here's why. Because you want to make what I'm saying about racism, and it's not. This is about the gospel. Jesus said, I came for everybody, and you no longer have the right to call one person clean and somebody else unclean because I came to destroy the wall of hostility between the two. So here's the thought. Some of you here today, you have felt like the minority your whole life. And I want to tell you why you feel like a minority, because sin makes you feel like a minority. Our own sin nature, my own sin nature. I grew up in a very middle-class white American home, and yet I felt like a minority most of my life. And here's why. Because until I understood what Jesus did to set me free of my sin, I will always feel like the minority. Jesus came to make you alive. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, if you're here and you say, Sean, I have never, ever made that decision. But today, before I leave this place, I want to know the God you're talking about. You're like the Cornelius in the story. You've come in here looking for the God that I'm talking about today. I want to tell you, he came and gave everything for you. And he accepts you. He loves you. He cares about you. He has a plan for your life. He wants to not only set you free from sin, he wants to give you a purpose purpose, and put you back into this world to come alive. If that's you today, would you pray this prayer with me? Just say, dear God, thank you for loving me and for sending your son Jesus to die for me on the cross. Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender myself to you, Jesus, today. I give you my everything. Jesus, would you come into my life and forgive me of all the things I've done? And would you cleanse me from my sin? And Jesus, I receive you into my life today and I surrender my life to you today, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. With every head bowed and every eye closed today, listen, today, if you just prayed that prayer with me and you meant it and you asked Christ into your life, would you just look up at me? Just look up at me. Show me your face. I just want to know who you are. I want to tell you today that the decision you made can be a game changer for the world around you because once you realize that Jesus is for you, you realize that Jesus is for everybody. So if you're here today and you prayed that with me, would you just look up right in my eyes? And if you're looking at me today, I'm assuming that today you gave your life to Christ. Would you just look straight at me? Father, I thank you today that there are people who for the first time met you in a way they never thought they would. And God, I thank you today for salvation. Lord, thank you for the good news that it's for every single person. Jesus, I want to pray now that what you've done in our hearts today would not stop here. Lord, I believe with all my heart you wanted us to preach this message today. You wanted us to talk about this issue today. And Lord, I pray that we would get past all the different ways that we try to frame it. Lord, it's a gospel issue. Do we see people and love people the way you do? Jesus, thank you for removing the barrier that would forever stand apart from us, that would ever stand between us, that we can come alive in Jesus' name. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.